Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. My back is really good. Oh, that's a lovely update. Yes. How did you get it good? I don't know. It just happened? Yeah. That's odd because that means it maybe was a bone that had clicked out, clicked in again. I don't know. I've had three nights of the most fabulous sleep. And on the first morning after good night's sleep, I woke up expecting to be paralyzed because that's how I feel every morning. And I was like... Ooh. Ooh. And I, I like move. jumped out of bed and I was like, yeah. Ooh. And Nicholas was like, what are you doing? And I was like, my back's so good. And I was just like dancing around the room. Oh, and he was like, don't do it now. I know. Well, I've had three nights now of good sleep. So I'm, I don't know what's happening. Well, just be careful. And sometimes you can kind of tell when it's, it's on the verge of going. I'm going to throw it out again. I know. Yeah. Something's going to happen. And because I'm very... As you, I'm very emotive. Yes. Like move. I do a lot of hands and especially in the newsroom you as well. gesticulate. I'm out and about. If yep. I have a story, I'm jumping around. I use my hands a lot and because I don't do a lot of TV and when I see myself on TV, my hands are going oh, everywhere. Oh, very hands. So I had to do this little promo thing for it on the telly just recently. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen it, but like we did one and it ran every night, this same promo. I'm sitting so still. Why? It's like my hands are glued to my I just my use my lap. hands all the time on the news. Yeah, but it just wasn't appropriate. Ugh, I'm, point, I'm like pointing <laughs> and doing my hands everywhere. <laughs> but my back is great, which is wonderful because I've spent the last – I reckon three months lying on the newsroom floor and they would just, I was like a dead person. They would just pull me up when they needed me to be in front of a camera. And I could hear producers walking around the newsroom going, where's Chanel? Has it's really sad Chanel? when it's your back because pe- yeah. it doesn't, people can't see it. No. It's like you're just being lazy. And I was just lying down behind our chief of staff desk. Oh, you poor thing. And then they literally one day just pulled me up to be live on TV. And I was like, just give me a five minute warning. And they just pulled me up and I was like, and then I was back down. I don't know if it's a media thing. A lot of people in radio do their backs. Like we've actually got desks in our studios now that you can push a button and it goes, stands up so we can all stand. I have another life revelation. Oh, God. Yep. Yes. I'm not wearing no-show socks anymore. Oh, why? Because they slip down into my shoe and I'm just not here for that shit anymore. I hate that. So annoying. But yeah. get, get the ones with the little, it's no, like a sticky stuff. They don't in them. work. Yeah, I've tried those. No. They don't work. Or they oh, work for like you. A, t- a little bit longer. Yeah, I, I know, know this has nothing to do with dead bodies, but it's a. Are you just not wearing any socks at all? No, I'm wearing like. Oh, showy ones. Ankles. Well, like full on. Yeah, but you look like you're about to go for a fun run. You don't care. Okay. I am too old to deal with that shit. I feel that sock slipping down into the arch of my foot mm. and I want to kill someone. Gosh, like it yeah. just sends, it's like it sends rage up my entire body and I'm so mad when it's happening. I'm walking and I am mad. I can feel it and I know that people listening to this will relate. Yep. I want to kill someone when that feeling happens. Like I had a full fit in Chadston with Nicholas and I was like, I can't take this shit anymore. I can't do it and he was like what and I was like we're going to target right now he was like why and I was like I'm buying big socks 
And then I put when I put them on today, he goes, "You can't." And I said, "I am. Like, this is me. It's all right. It actually uh, look mm. honestly. There's nothing you could wear that wouldn't look good. They look fine. Well, anyway, if anyone Acceptable. sees me getting around town with big socks, this is me. Okay. This is who I am now. Just don't wear those with your loafers because you'll look like a wharfy, and I don't think okay. that's the image that your no. news persona needs to yeah. be. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Who's going first? You want to go first? You go first. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm in Don't I'm in be Melbourne. shocked by my generosity of letting you go first. <laughs> really? Well, no, what? I just don't want to be pushy girl pushing it all the time. Okay. Any uh, news from you or Kirst? Anyone? Well, I think I, I... Kirsten? No, has anyone seen a dead body? No, I haven't. Mm, not recently. There was a, a dead bird where I walk every day. Oh. Um, I watched Parasite, which is the movie, the one the Academy oh, Award, and it's really good. It's kind of like a Korean, well, South Korea, I think, South Korean Quentin Tarantino movie. It's obviously I subtitled. It's, yes. yes, it is. I've got to really worry. be in the mood for that. Mm. You'll be fine. Sometimes there's big words and you think, oh, they did not say that big word. You've oh. put that in there. Uh, but it's really good. It's really quirky. Okay. And you're like a bit of the way in going, what, this one, the Academy Award, but then stay with it because it gets super twisted at I'm the watching end. Narcos. Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. A lot of subtitles. Really good. Oh, I'm going to take my headphones off. I hate them. Oh, okay. There we are. Okay. That's done. I might take other things off. I don't know. Uh, story. I think I promised you this is a medium-sized story. It might be longer because I've printed it anyway. In smaller. Okay. Colin Campbell, Campbell. It's a bad start, isn't it? Second word in, stuffed up badly. <laughs> Colin Campbell. Colin Campbell, Edie Ross. Just Colin Ross, we'll call him. Born 1892 in North Fitzroy, which is a suburb of Melbourne. His parents were Thomas and Elizabeth Ross, and Colin had four brothers and sisters. And his dad died when Colin was just eight years old. So mum had to look after all five kids, and one of them was a newborn. She Mm -hmm. struggled. The kids missed a bit of school, and they were sent out to work very young to help support the family. So when Colin was only 11, he started working at a quarry, and he went to work as a labourer. He ended up working on the wards at the Broadmeadows Army Hospital. But then in 1920, his mum became manager of the Donnybrook Hotel. Oh, yeah. Uh, And Colin became a partner in the business along with his brother, Ronald. And around the same time, Colin started seeing a girl named Lily Mae Brown and he asked her to marry him. But when she said no, he pulled a gun on her. Oh, and he followed her onto a tram, which would be called stalking today, wouldn't yes, it? Yes, yes. But he would have been looked at as a sad love. Will you marry me? Man. No. Here's a gun. Yeah. Have it I'm now. going to follow yeah. you everywhere. <laughs> what do you think now? He, Try again. Um, <laughs> he continued to threaten her. Now she's pretty switched on. She went to the police and agreed to meet Colin later in the day. And when they met up, a plainclothes detective was nearby. So Colin Ross was nabbed. You're nicked, young man. He was charged with using threatening words and with carrying firearms without permission. And he was put on a good behaviour bond and he was fined for carrying the gun. Mm. Uh, The next year, April 1921, Colin and two of his brothers, Stanley and Ronald, brought a wine shop in the Eastern Arcade, which was in the middle of the city. Okay. Near where the GPO is now. Um, They called it the Australian Wine Saloon and working at the saloon was a barmaid by the name of Ivy Matthews. And she said sometime later that when the Ross brothers took over the saloon, the clientele went from being quite respectable to a bunch of alcoholics and criminals. The customers drank to excess, they vomited, they urinated in the arcade. Sounds like an average day in my house. Mm. They made lewd comments to passing women. 
on the 13th of October 1921, one of the customers at the saloon was robbed in the outdoor toilet. He was shot during a struggle with the robber and he was too drunk to tell the police what had happened. But they worked out that the man who attacked him was a young Englishman named Frank Walsh. So Colin Ross had asked Frank Walsh to rob the man and they were going to share the proceeds of it. Mm -hmm. Both of them were arrested and charged with armed robbery. So Colin Ross in front of the police again. He was acquitted of the armed robbery charge, but Frank Walsh got six months hard labour. Now I need to introduce you to a new character in this story. Her name is Nell Alma Turchke. 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 Yeah, got it. Got it? Okay, good. Nell Alma Turchke. I'll just call her Nell or Nell Turchke from here on in your worship. Nell. Everyone called her Alma, even though her first name was Nell. Alma. Oh, Nell. I'm going with Alma because that's what everyone called her. Okay. So it's known as the Alma Turchke story. Right. She was born in 1909 in Western Australia and her father, Charles, got a job with a mining company in Rhodesia, which is now called Zimbabwe, as you know. Mm -hmm. The whole family moved there and then her mother had a second daughter. And they were all coming back to Australia in 1914. But on the way back, the mother died of complications from a third pregnancy. So she was buried at sea. How do you reckon they did that in those days? Yes, chuck you off. Yeah. yeah. Buried at sea is a nice way of saying chuck you off. Yeah, I think so. So Charles Turchke arrived in Melbourne with his two daughters and he left them with his parents, Henry and Elizabeth Turchke. I've spelled it differently all through Um, and he went back to Western Australia to work on the goldfields leaving the two girls here Mm -hmm. the grandfather Henry Turchke he died in 1921 so that left the grandmother Elizabeth to look after the girls and her own children she was good she kept a very close watch on them Alma went to Hawthorne West Central School she did really well at her studies she was very well behaved and um, the only th- unusual thing was her mother didn't let her mix very much with the other kids. So she was very shy and her sister Viola described her as being soft in speech and soft in manner. Like you, Chanel. Sweet. The other day I said to someone, someone was calling me brash. What? How dare they? Yeah. And then I realised in my reply, I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm a not a sweet wife. girl. Okay, continue. You are a sweet girl. I wasn't being facetious or sarcastic. I was I'm a being lady. genuine. You are. <laughs> you are a lady. On the afternoon of the 30th of December, 1921, starts to get a bit sad here, Alma was 12 years old at this stage and her grandmother sent her to a butcher's shop in the city to pick up a package of meat, which she was then supposed to go and drop off to another address where her auntie was in Collins Street. Usually that trip would take her about 15 minutes. So when Alma didn't come home, her grandmother was very worried. She called the police and they joined the Turchke family in looking for her all night. Mm. It was the next morning where they found Alma's naked body in Gun Alley. And I don't think it's called Gun Alley anymore. I think it's around about 80 Collins Street now. So it's a laneway off Little Collins Street. Um, She had been raped and strangled. So police put up a reward of £1,250, which is about $100,000 today. It was one of the highest rewards offered in Australia at the time. And the general public, as you can imagine, they were terrified the killer would strike again. So the police were under a lot of pressure to make an arrest. Alma had last been seen alive between 2.30 and 3 on the afternoon she disappeared. A small window. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, it's a city. 
It's yeah. right in the middle of the city. So she'd been seen on the corner of Alfred Place and Little Collins Street, which is near the lane where her body was found. They think that she was then killed at around 6 p.m. One of the men that they came to interview was Colin Ross, who we were talking about earlier. Right. Uh, he told police that he had seen a girl matching Alma's description outside his saloon. Uh, several witnesses also said that they had seen her there. They said that Alma had looked worried and that a man was following her. So because the police had crossed paths with Colin Ross before for those couple of things, mm. they honed in on him. Uh, he was very cooperative. He provided several witnesses who had seen him working in the saloon on the afternoon that Alma died. But the police were convinced that he had killed Alma. On the 12th of January 1922, they arrested him for murder. He told his lawyers, his family, his friends that he had nothing to fear. He was innocent. He was sure he would be released. He went to trial and a prisoner by the name of John Harding, who had a previous conviction for perjury. Oh, oh, what's that? You're a liar in the past? Mm. Okay. He, he testified that Peros, at the time they had been locked up in jail, uh, confessed to him that he had killed Alma. Three women said that Colin Ross had confessed to them. One of them was this barmaid, Ivy Matthews, who kind of had it in for Colin Ross a bit over right. a few things that had happened in the business. At one stage, she'd sort of taken over the business and was calling herself the manager, so something not right between oh, the relationship okay. with them. Um, there was a prostitute by the name of Olive Maddox. We'll come back to her. And a woman called Julia Gibson, who worked as a fortune teller under the name oh. Madame Gurkha. I love it. There's Madame your witness Gurkha. right there. That's a Madame, good one. Madame Gurkha, <laughs> a giving, a giving testimony. I'm seeing man I'm naming Colin she looks Ross. like Professor McGonagall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. She's got a tea towel draped over her head and lots of jewellery. Now, the prosecution case was that instead of going to the butcher, this is what the prosecution is saying. Okay. They said... That Alma, who was 12 years old, a oh little God. girl. I know where this is going. Had yeah. stopped for a drink in the wine bar. Oh, yeah. They said she stayed for three hours oh, drinking, just drinking wine. Just, just getting served at the bar. <laughs> just knocking them back. Before they said Colin Ross raped and murdered her. This is a world before CCTV mm -hmm. where you can sure just say is. whatever shit you like. That's right. And they really wanted to just go, look, public, no thing to fear. We've arrested the man that did it. I'm kind of setting this up for where it goes. But anyway, we'll keep going. Um, now, the police had some strands of hair that they had taken from Alma's own body, some of her mm -hmm. own hair. And... One detective said that on the day that they arrested Colin Ross, he had noticed several strands of golden hair on a blanket in Colin Ross's house. So they got this guy. He was the government analyst, a man called Charles Price, who had no priors in this particular area of analysing hair. He compared the hairs under the microscope. The hair that was found in Colin Ross's house was a different colour to Alma's hair. One was auburn and one was dark red. They were of different thicknesses, but in court, despite the fact that the hairs didn't match, this government analyst ended up saying that the hairs were derived from the scalp of one and the same person, Alma Turchke. So he contradicted himself, but the judge accepted that without any comment. Mm -hmm. uh, Colin Ross's barrister, Thomas Brennan, protested. He asked for another examination of the hairs, but the judge refused that. 
The jury eventually cut, uh, found Colin Ross guilty of murder and he was sentenced to death by hanging. Mm. Now, the public were delighted with this. They believed that he was a child killer. But uh, Colin Ross's legal team were convinced that he was innocent. So he tried to, uh, he'd sought the right to appeal. The judge refused. He said that Ross's guilt had been proven beyond doubt. So the defence took the case for appeal to the Privy Council in England, but that was also refused. So the night before he was to be hanged, Colin Ross received a letter from a man admitting that he killed Alma. He didn't give his name and he said that he didn't come forward because he didn't want to cause grief to his own family. So Colin Ross told his family that the day was coming when his innocence would be proved but that didn't happen. He got oh. as far as the gallows and he said, I am now face to face with my maker and I swear by almighty God that I am an innocent man. I never saw the child. I never committed the crime. I don't know who did. I never confessed to anyone. I ask God to forgive those who have sworn my life away and I pray God to have mercy on my poor darling mother and my family. So Colin Ross was executed on the 24th of April, 1922, at Melbourne Jail. And just for a second, since we're all about dead bodies, the execution was such a balls up. They oh, fucked it up no. so, so badly. They had decided on for his hanging to experiment with a different kind of rope. So they usually use this three-stranded rope. You know how rope is yeah. twisted? which was a European hemp, but they'd used this new four-stranded rope and it didn't run freely through the noose. So he didn't die immediately. His spinal cord was fractured, oh. not severed. His windpipe was torn, and he, but he was still breathing. He was convulsing oh. on the rope. He was still able to cry out, but he's, obviously as his larynx had been torn. Um, Three times he bent his knees and flexed his arms and then they said he slowly was strangled to death by asphyxiation. After this particular hanging, the prison report said that they would never use that rope again. It was so bad. Fast forward 70 years later. Oh, in 1993, a man by the name of Kevin Morgan, who had been a school teacher, started researching the murder and he found handwritten notes in the Bible that Colin Ross had kept with him in prison. His family had kept the, the um, Bible after he died mm-hmm. and Ross had, Colin Ross had written in it about false witnesses. Morgan went over interview records, court transcripts, and he found that the, inf- that the information had been kept from the court at the time, including the testimony of six reliable witnesses who said that Colin Ross was inside his saloon for the entire afternoon of Alma Turchke's murder. There was a cab driver named Joseph Graham who had heard screams coming from a building in Collins Street at around three o'clock. At that time, Colin Ross was verified as having been in his saloon and this cab driver's interview was disregarded by the police and he wasn't called to give evidence. Um, He wasn't permitted to speak in court. So this author, Morgan, he also noted that the witnesses against Ross were very dodgy. One of them, John Harding, the perjurer Mm. I told you about, um, he had been in jail with Colin Ross and, oh, Golly gosh, his sentence was reduced after he gave evidence in the court. How about that? Wasn't that a nice bit of timing? And Olive Maddox, the other one I mentioned, the prostitute, um, she, uh, she and Ivy Matthews, the disgruntled employee at the saloon, and the fortune teller, they all shared the reward money. Mm. I wonder why they testified against him. It's a mystery, isn't it? So Kevin Morgan found a file in the Office of Public Prosecutions which contained the original hair samples. 
This wow. is what year did I say this was? 1993. Hmm. Um, he submitted them for DNA testing, which I won't go into because I won't drag you down, but it's it's a it was a very long complex because it's not his case, not his hair, all yeah. the rest of it. Um, but eventually the two independent scientific authorities, the Victorian Institute of Forensic Medicine and the Forensics Division at the Australian Federal Police, they found that the two lots of hair did not come from the same person. So in 2005, the families of both Colin Ross and Alma Turchke, both their families, submitted a petition of mercy. And in 2006, the Victorian Attorney General at the time, Rob Hulls, asked the Chief Justice Marilyn Warren to consider the plea for Ross. So in 2008, on the 27th of May, Colin Ross was officially pardoned mm. 86 years after his execution. Wow. It was That's the first um, – it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It was the first posthumous pardon in Victoria's legal history. Uh, Alma Turchke's descendants said they were relieved that, it, that he was exonerated. They did an interview with a current affair and they said that they believed that the actual murderer may have been a family member. Um, their suspect was a returned soldier who had pedophilic tendencies – and he was married to their cousin. Um, so in 2010, Colin Ross's remains were identified and they were handed to his family for a proper burial. Mm. And there you are. That's why we can't have the death penalty. I was. That was my question now. Yeah, Do you that's still why we can't. Out? You can't. They say you'd rather you'd rather have a hundred people go free than, than to one innocent man. hang the wrong mm. one. Yeah. yeah. And thank God we don't hang people here. Do they I still know. hang in America? I think they do. It's awful. Mm. It sounds dreadful. Mm. So they never found out who did it, did they? They no. never got the guy that wrote no. the letter and confessed. There was a name. It's funny. I've, and I had the name just then, but I just feel uncomfortable to give that because there yeah. are descendants of yeah, that person. Yeah, still alive. But that was – and there is a book, so if you wanted to read more about Colin Ross, that the guy that did all that research, Kevin yeah. Morgan, um, just Google him and Colin Ross and you could track down that. Uh, okay, I'm doing the story of uh, Lonnie David Franklin Jr. Why do criminals always have four names? Mm. I don't know. It's long, isn't it? Why do we wheel out their middle names? It's no a red flag. What's, what's your middle name, Chanel? Elise. Chanel Elise. Bella. Bella. Oh, that's pretty. That's cute, yeah. What's yours? Cursed? Marie? Kirsten yeah. Marie Limhau. Yeah, that's nice. What's yours? Leslie. Dee, Dee. Di, 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 <laughs> Leslie, Dunleavy. Yeah. That's all we right. We could it's all be murderers, it. kind of. Kind of could, yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to call him Franklin because I'm not saying that name every single time I have to reference him. Right. He was born in 1952, pretty normal guy, grew up in South Central, um, Los South Angeles. Central. Oh, LA. Yes, yep. where he was married, had two children. His neighbour said he was lovely. He would fix their cars and help those around the neighbourhood. Wherever he could. Nice guy. Good guy. Yeah. Uh, in 1974, Franklin joined the military and was sent to Germany. While he was there, he and two other soldiers kidnapped a 17-year-old girl and raped her. They took photos of the rape. They were discovered and he was discharged from the military. Nice guy. How did he go from being a nice guy to a, Whoa, yeah. to a monster? Mm. When he was uh, chucked out, he went and worked for the LAPD as a mechanic and then he was also a, they called it when I was reading up on this story, a sanitary disposal officer. Garbo. Garbo. Yeah. Rubbish. How does he get a job with the cops if he raped someone in Germany? Well, I don't know. Yeah. A girl. So around the 1980s, there's a spate of killings 
in LA, in the city. All the victims are women and they're dumped in dumpsters. Most of the women's autopsies revealed that they had drugs in their system. Some of them were sex workers. So there was obviously a need to find out who it was, but this was also around the time of like the scourge of heroin and Mm. the city was really under siege by drugs. And around this same time, there were also two other serial killers prowling around killing people. Oh. But so there's two other serial killers and then there's this other serial killer. So there's three all up. But at this time, the police think it's just one person. Mm -hmm. So they're not sure. So there's all these different kinds of styles of killing going on, but they just think it's one maniac. And they dub that person the Southside Slayer. Mm. Mm. The only problem being that two of those men, two of the three, are caught and the killing is continuing. And they know that the killer that they're looking for is using a gun. Uh, In 1984, Laura Moore, she's 21 years old, she's sitting at a bus stop and Franklin pulls up and he says, you shouldn't be out here alone because bad guys might pick you up. Let me take you where you need to go. No way. No. Mm. No. Bad guy posing as a good guy. Yeah. So Laura is reluctant, but she accepts the lift. Once in the car, he tells her to put on her seatbelt. She refused, so he pulled out a gun and shot her six times. (gasps) Why six? Laura is still alive. No what? way. No she, way. She's alive and she jumps from the car. Yeah. wonder where he shot her. I don't know. It would have been point blank range as yeah. well. Yeah. Like imagine like driving yeah. to the passenger yeah. seat. That's not far. He drives away, is not caught. In August 1985, there was a woman named Deborah Jackson. She was 21. She was working as a waitress at the time. Her body was found in an alleyway and she'd been shot three times. Um, Over the next three years, seven women were killed in a similar fashion. Mm. Mm. Uh, Henrietta Henrietta Wright was found under a mattress in an alleyway in 1986. Someone rang 911 saying they saw a man dumping a body out of a van. They gave police the license number. They chased up that license number. It it amounted to nothing. Benita Sparks was later killed in the same year. She was 25. And then a woman called Mary Lowe was also murdered. A short time after that, I think it's Larika Jefferson was killed in January 1988. And then 18-year-old Alice Monique Alexander is found dead under a mattress in an alleyway. Then there is a woman called Initra. How's it spelled? Initra. Hmm. Mm. I think it's Initra. Initra, Washington. So it's the 20th of November, 1988, and she says she was approached by a neatly dressed black man who offered her a lift home. She said no at first, and he was angry, and he said to her, that's the problem with you black women. People can't be nice to you. Oh, God. Hmm. Oh, you black women. Yes. People just can't be nice to you. That's right. How dare you not accept a lift from a creepy man? Mm. So they start chatting for a little bit longer. Eventually... They kind of strike up some banter and Enrita eventually feels sorry for him and she accepts the lift. When she gets into the car, it's a Pinto. She's quite impressed by it. A what? A Pinto. What is that? I'll show you. It's like a... um, It's a type of car. Yeah. That's a terrible name for a car. A Pinto. A Pinto. Pinto. 
doesn't sound flashy. It doesn't sound like. What are you picturing? I'll pick you up in the Pinto. Yeah. Okay, baby. Okay. I'm coming around. I'm picturing like a It's head. not like a Mustang. Like Mustang like sounds cool. Nah. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh. A, it's like a muscle car, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, with the big bonnet and the Ford little Pinto. back. Anyway, it's got all white interior. It's quite clean. She's very impressed by it. I would love to be in charge of making up the names for cars. Would you? (laughs) Yes. Because I like it when they use, like, have a theme, like Starburst. What? What? (laughs) Sorry? You know, like, wouldn't you want to make up the names? This is the moment that in a car meeting they just went, (laughs) <laughs> right, so from now on we're just going to call them letters and numbers. So we'll start at A. But they've done some – no, but they do things like Bluebird, didn't they? Yeah. They use they animals. Has there been a lion? I bet there hasn't been a car called a lion. That would be a good name. Do you use that? Mm. Oh, here's Chanel. She's driving on lion. by the car industry. Yeah. Like, uh, the cheetah. Not well. Okay. <laughs> Jaguar. That so works. Enrita was on her way to a party and she's obviously told – neatly dressed black man this and uh, he invites himself to the party but he says he needs to go and pick something up first from his uncle's house so they go there he's out of the car for about 10 minutes when he returns they begin to argue he pulls out a gun and shoots her in the chest <gasps> she's still alive what he's not very good at shooting he's not very good at shooting what's no. he shooting them with a spud gun i don't know he sexually assaults her before pushing her out of the car and leaving oh. her for dead but she didn't die she was able to give police a very good description of him. Yes, good girl. And the bullet is taken from her chest and it's matched to other murders. So they know the person that she's encountered is this person that's murdering yeah. everyone else. The South Central yep. Slayer. Yes. Yes. But yes. from that point the on. The South Central shitty shot. Yeah, she, yeah. yeah, that's good. That's good. That's what they should have called him. Shitty shot. Mm. I'm going to call him shitty shot from this point <laughs> yeah, on in the story. It. Thank you. Okay, shitty shot. Goes missing after this. There's can we do this? I don't think we can. We won't make it through. <laughs> we no. can. We'll get the giggles. All right. I won't this is laugh. like if I'm told to say something at work and I think it's funny, but you just have to say it on the news. Okay. Okay. So shitty shot goes missing for the next 20 years. Oh, 20 years? Nothing. Goes to ground. Wow. No more murders. Wee. Shitty shot's gone. So we go now to 2002. There is a 15-year-old girl. Her name is Princess Bethomu. And she's strangled to death. She's not shot. She's strangled. 15. Just a mm. baby. Then in July 2003, 35-year-old Valerie McCovey is also found strangled to death and half naked. A few years on, the body of Janika Peters is found folded into a bin bag and discarded off. Oh. They ran DNA samples from these uh, three women. And they weren't any matches. So even though Franklin had done time in jail, his DNA wasn't on record. The governor of California at the time did what was quite a controversial move and they allowed for partial matches to be run in the system. So that would pull up people that were related to the murderer but not the murderer himself. Mm -hmm. So they did this and they got a hit. It came back to Franklin's son who had committed a felony and that's why he was in the system. They worked out that the family home that was still owned by them and it was right in the middle of where all the murders had happened. Oh, my God, like in Criminal Minds when they have a thing on the wall and the strings and it goes, oh. Yeah, but they still needed Franklin's DNA. 
to prove it. Where is he though? So he's still around. He's still getting about and they follow him to a party in LA. A cop poses as a busboy and retrieves his plate his pizza crust and no a cup. No way. This is so good. It's like yeah. a TV Isn't show. Isn't it cool? Yeah. There was enough saliva on all three items to return a positive match and many of those matched all the crime scenes. So oh, they knew they had the their guy. Heck? They got a warrant to search his house. They found 800 pieces of evidence, including guns, and they found thousands of photos of women and videos hidden all over his house. Oh, good God. Most of them had their breasts exposed and some of them appeared to be dead. At least 55 women in those photos have still not been identified. What the heck? It led police to believe that the man that they had since dubbed the Grim Sleeper, yeah, shitty shot, mm-hmm. had not taken 20 years off at all and they now believe that his knowledge of the sanitation industry may have allowed him to dispose of bodies in landfill and these people were just never found, never reported missing or people had been looking for them. That is so awful. I wanted to say earlier, like, to put a body, I mean, Mm. I know, to to dump a dead body anywhere, but in rubbish. Yeah. I know. It's like saying you were nothing. You were just rubbish. Yeah. Oh, that's awful for the families. Side note, if you want to listen to a really good podcast, I know I shouldn't be recommending podcasts that aren't ours. Of course uh, you can. Detective Trap. Oh, I haven't got that. Detective Have you listened Trap. to um, The Catch and Kill? With, yes, I'm um, on it. That's good. Yes. Detective Trap. Detective Trap, Look really great story. Now. And similar to this, bodies being dumped, landfill, really great though. Mm. Um, in his trial, Franklin's uh, lawyer tried to argue that his nephew was actually the killer. Mm. And he did this because, I don't know if you remember just a moment ago when I was talking and he picked up the girl in the Pinto and he said, I need to go and get something from my uncle's house. Yes. So the lawyers tried to hinge everything on the nephew saying, well, Franklin wouldn't say he was stopping at his uncle's house. Yeah. So it's obviously the nephew. Um, That first victim who was shot six times and jumped out of the car, well, 20 years on, she was still alive and she went to his sentencing even though he was never... Um, charged over her assault. Oh, my God, I've got goosebumps. How brave was she? One of his victims uh, went to court and told him, you are truly a piece of evil. You're right up there with Manson. We have some audio of the sentencing. Why did all of this happen? Why did you do all of these things? All of these women were defenseless. They were not a threat to you in any way, shape, or form. And... After thinking about it, and pondering it, going over it in my mind, I've come to this conclusion, that it doesn't matter why. I can't think of anyone that I've encountered in all my many years in the criminal justice system that has committed the kind of monstrous and the number of monstrous crimes that you have. All of these people have been suffering and will continue to suffer, but hopefully, as many of them said, they feel they're going to receive some peace, and I hope that you are able to leave here with some peace today. But it's not vengeance. It's justice, Mr. Franklin. And so, at this time, I will say that 
the defendant is not eligible for probation and probation is denied. And so, Lonnie Franklin Jr. for the first degree murder of Deborah Jackson as alleged, as alleged in count one and the special circumstance of multiple murder, it is the judgment and sentence of this court that you shall suffer the death penalty. The total non-death sentence is life plus 25 years to life plus 14 years, all of that uh, consecutive. How good is the applause at the end? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And it wasn't raucous American like went the golf kind of applause. No. It was It was just a yes. Yeah. Yes. It was that just the applause. right level of applause. Yeah. So he was sentenced to death row, but no one has been given the death penalty there since 2006. So he will likely die on death row of natural causes. Well, at least he's locked up. Mm. Wow. Isn't that amazing? 55. Yeah. Unidentified women. And then the ones that they do know of. Yeah. <gasps> Isn't that crazy? I wonder how that would feel when you're the judge being the one to say those words. You would agonise over it. Yeah. I mean, you're still taking a life from a person. Yeah. It's a bad person. And she, was, um, uh, she wasn't reading that either. She was kind of just saying it mm. off the cuff from her heart. So she was quite emotional. You could tell she was yeah. quite emotional yeah. in it. I don't know. You'd, you'd really want to, if you'd written it down, you'd want to be practice it so you could really say it without yeah. reading it. Yeah, I feel. because there would be that I'm doing this for the family yeah. this, or families, yeah. multiple. And of. I like that she said, I hope you leave here with some kind of peace. Yeah. You know? Yeah, those poor people. Mm. Great story. Not great, like, but well okay, told. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Should we do a quick feedback each? Sure. All right. Uh, I'm just going to take the one on top. Okay. It's from Cherie. It says, hi, ladies. I've binged your podcast for the last week. I'm up to F24. Someone on a true crime podcast Facebook page recommended your show. That's nice Whoa. to hear. Uh, Check uh, out these gals. Cherie says, I clean houses and I love your show. She's stretched it out, <laughs> which is great. Uh, I laugh so hard, I must look like an idiot. Haha. <laughs> I almost lost it at the poo cast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> which one? We've done no, a few. Yeah, there's been a few poo moments. Oh, so okay, you're only up to 24. Poo, it was that, the first poo where we the, lost it. Yeah, mm. there's more poo to come, Cherie. Be, be ready for that. Uh, ready. Cherie says, I was diagnosed with ulcerative, ulcerative colitis in May last year. So poo is my life story i think it's a great way you can see the funny side of things who wants to go through life so serious keep up the great show sheree nice things sheree to you oh is this sheree found a t-shirt for me is it a different sheree i don't know i don't know sheree sent through a t-shirt it says bloodstains are red ultraviolet lights are blue i watch enough murder shows they'll never find you (laughs) (laughs) you need to wear that to bed and point it at nico I do. The other day I put on really ugly pyjamas and Nico was like, mm, good choice. <laughs> and I pulled my pants up over my jumper and really tucked myself in. Okay, be was comfy. Just, yeah. I want to be comfy. Yeah. I don't want a cold back. We've got cold another toes. T-shirt from Natalie. And she says, ha-ha, saw this t-shirt, T-shirt and thought of you guys for some reason. And it says, probably thinking about food or serial killers. Yes, yes. because that's what we do. It's painfully well, Last accurate. night I was writing the serial killers stuff. Just while eating. That's what I do. Yeah. Or at the laundromat. Yeah, that's yeah. why I yeah. usually will eat toast while I'm writing that serial yeah. kills. Um, do you want to do that one and then we'll sure. 
they wrap it said, up. Get listening out of to here. you talk about the White Island eruption as I walk on Ohope Beach looking at White Island just offshore. I had no idea you were here reporting on it. Yay, so glad you got to see my slice of paradise. It oh. was paradise. Mm. I'm always walking on the beach when I listen to your podcast. That's good because you need the happy medium. It's like when you watch a murder show and then you need to watch an episode of Friends right after. Yes. So you're not terrified. Yeah. I'm not thrilled about Friends doing that reunion, by the way. Why? Because it's not not an episode of the show. Yeah. Never. Yeah. It's, it's going to be never. like a weird movie. And it's mm. only, it's so commercial. It's HBO going, oh, we're going to get them all together. And now now here's all the back catalogue. Watch all of that. Because they've, yeah. they've pulled the Friends back catalogue off of Netflix. So there's no way you can watch it at the moment. Okay. And then in May they're launching this dedicated HBO Max channel. And that's where you'll be able to watch the Friends reunion and then just watch all the old episodes. It's not what I want. I don't oh, want this. Jesus. I want Brad and Jen to get back together. Anything oh, less is not good photos? enough of them holding each other's yes, hands I did. at the I, backstage. You bet I did. I zoomed. Yeah. I zoomed to see how tight the hand Her was hand and lingered on his chest. I know. Chest hand is really a thing. Like, oh, that's a real intimate. sign. A yeah. red flag. Kirsten had to nurse me through a couple of days of the show. We even got a psychologist on the show to talk what, about it. Why didn't we text about this? Because I was having major moments about it. The entire world was. The genuine happiness between them. Well, so our psychologist in the end, or our body language expert, was it? Was that Steve Van Apperen? Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. He's fantastic. Um, we must talk to him on the pod one day because he has worked on eighty-one murders and wow. two serial killer cases. Yeah, he's a he's an expert in um, reading. Uh, I don't want to say body language because that's like, but um, you know, human behaviour. Okay. They, they call him the human lie detector. Mm. So I got him onto the Brad and Jen picture. What did he say? Well, he basically said that really uh, that he wouldn't give me that they were getting back together. But they've slept together. No, like the night that before. that there is genuine um, friendship and comfort between them. That there was just that lovely. We could I see don't that. Want mm. Fucking friendship. I, like, I need <laughs> full on lust. That's what I want them both to Hot. make a baby. Can you imagine a baby? Brendan made it together. We've probably reached a point now that where we right. need to wrap uh, this shit up. Uh, you know what we what to do. Email us. Nice please things. do. Yes. Nice things. Deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.